If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 through 11. Also, you can read along in the bulletin. It's printed for you. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And before um, I read, let's pray again and ask God for help. Lord God, we, we need your help here. We need your help to, um, to understand your word. I need your help to preach your word with clarity and accuracy. And um, Lord, I pray that as we, as we delve into this, that you would, um, your spirit would um, illuminate um, the scriptures before us. And that we would be greatly encouraged um, by the the truth that's said here and the command that's given. And be encouraged that just with this wonderful reality that what you require, you provide. And um, Lord, help us to see that anew, to believe it. And and may this scripture help us to, to love one another, earnestly, fervently, to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The, the beginning of this text, the beginning is, is the beginning of the text is talking about the ending, isn't it? It's uh, the end of all things. Is at hand. It's like something you'd see on a billboard or some like a placard that some would be wearing, walking up and down the street. I don't know if that's just old movies or whatever. Uh, but the end is at hand, and it, it, you know I think it's a question we've posed before. Is a question that's worth asking? If you knew today was the last day of your life, what would you do? How would you respond? How would you spend it? Would you respond with panic? Got so much to do. Got so much that's been unsaid. Would you? Would it be dread? Would it be relief? Hey, I don't have to go to the grocery store. That joke's for Camille. He's not in here anyway. Um, you know, not worried about that. Um, how would you live it if today was your last day? I mean, and, and that's really the question here. That's the question. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. That's the statement he's making. Like, 
whether or not this is your last day, whether or not this is, you know, um, this earthly life will end for you, uh, and I don't think that's really what it's saying. I don't think that's really what it's getting at. Um, I don't think it's talking about death, but that is how we're to think. What? How are we living, and are we living as though this is, as though it could be our last? It's a great challenge. It's a great thing to think about. Um, there's three points I think this text makes to us. First, it wants us to live in light of the imminent end. Live in light of the imminent end. Um, second, love one another by His grace. And then thirdly, love one another for His glory. So first, live in light of this imminent end. Um, you know, how, how you respond to this, uh, the end of all things is at hand. It, it depends on what you think comes next, right? How you respond to that, how you, how you understand that, how you, your emotion, it depends on what you think comes next. And, you know, Peter knew what came next. Peter knew. He was there. Uh, he had seen the Lord ascend on the Mount of Olives. He had witnessed the resurrected Jesus. He had saw his ascension. He heard angels re- repeat the promise of Jesus' return. And so when, when Peter's talking about this, he's talking about not just death. He's looking to the salvation ready to be, vi- be revealed with Christ. And that's a quote from uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He's looking ahead to the full salvation ready to be revealed with Christ when He comes again. So the end we anticipate as Christians is the new heaven, the new earth. Okay, but when? When? What does it say? The end, glory, is at hand. Is at hand. It's, it's near. It's like this cup of water. It's at hand. That's, what, that's the, what he's saying. That's what that means. It's very near. It's close. It's, it's imminent. imminent. And, and, and so what, how, how, what is that? how do we understand that? Because if I'm not mistaken, it's been um, over 2,000 years. Right? It's, it's been a long time since the ascension. Since, and I had to check the phone to see that. But um, I did my calculations. But it, it, it's been a long time. But again, what we go back to Scripture, and, 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 and John tells us that this is how we're to live. He says in, in, in John, 1 John 2, 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So even then, he said this is close. And what does he mean by Antichrist? He means false Christ. It's a plural. It means many people that claim to be the the the, the last prophet and the and, and, and the you know you know the Messiah. Many have come, but it's it, it's he's saying we're in the last times. There's many many people, many uh, religions competing for truth, and that's how we know it's in the last hour. Well, not much has changed. It's still it's still that. It's still many antichrists in this world. Many uh, who are opposed to him that. You know that that indicate we're still in this quote last hour, and even though it's been a long time, thousands of years, we still are called according to scriptures to to anticipate 
the end, to, to live as though it is close. And again, how do we, is this, was, was Jesus wrong? Was, is Paul wrong? Is it, were, the, were the apostles just mistaken? Well, we, we know that, you know, for us, uh, that time doesn't work the same way for God. You know, for a day to him is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That our thoughts are not his thoughts, and there, there is some mystery of this. You know? It, it doesn't mean that, that he's failed. It doesn't mean that it's not that he's not coming. It also in Scripture realizes that he is patient. And I mentioned this in a prayer. He's patiently waiting for all his chosen people to come and to be engrafted into the vine, which is Christ, to make professions of faith, to enter into the church before he comes. So it, it's, not, it's not, there's a plan. There's, there's, there's intent. It's, it's not that, well, I don't know. Jesus says in Luke 12, 35 through 40, he's speaking. He says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. He will come and, and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So it, it, it has been a long time. But again, the command is the same. The, the, the intention is the same. Live and recognize that He is coming. According to His plan. According to His purpose. And we're not to know the time. That's not for us to know. So because of this imminent end, what does He say? The second part of that verse. Verse 7. Be self-controlled. And sober-minded. We could also translate it as be watchful and alert. You know, again, it's very obvious. Don't, don't, don't be drunk. Don't be asleep. Don't be just kind of wandering through life you know, without, without being intentional and thoughtful in what you're doing. Be, be alert. Be ready. The end is near the end is at hand so be sober minded be watchful be alert what does that look like what does that look like for you and me well it doesn't it doesn't mean you think watchful and alert you could kind of think kind of like what's that you know and a lot of people when we think about uh, did y'all like that I'll do it again no I won't anyway but a lot of people when we think about uh, you know eschatology we think Okay, I've got to read the tea leaves of the, what's going on in the Middle East. I've got to figure out, you know, it, you know again, like being watched and alert is just being totally focused on what's happening in this region of the world. Is the temple being rebuilt? Things like that. And I'm again, I'm, I, you know, if, we, if, you come, if you grew up in that, in the kind of pre-mill, I think what that does is really the opposite of what Peter's getting at. That's not the purpose. Watch and alert is, taught, is so that what? So that we can be engaged in living here and now. Engaged in the life of the body of Christ. 
So it's not that kind of watchfulness. It's not that kind of alertness. It's not trying to figure out the day and the time. Again, that's, again, that's not for us. Jesus says in Mark 13, 32, He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, I'm not going to go into how does the Son not know, okay? But I think clearly in as fully God, fully man, living His life, doing ministry, what we can clearly say, Jesus was not concerned about it. That was not His chief concern of when. Does He know now? I think so. How did He not? Anyway, I'm not going to parse that out. But the point is... Don't worry about the win. Don't, don't, don't spend time trying to figure that out. That's not what this alertness, this sober-mindedness, this watchfulness means. It means being mindful of the gospel. Being mindful of the sure hope of Christ's return in the midst of the here and now, of the trials and tribulations. In other words, he's saying, look what he says next. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. And that's where this all this that's where we understand. That's where this comes together. He's saying, don't panic, pray. He's saying, don't, don't be asleep at the wheel. Don't, don't just be kind of floating through life, kind of doling your emotions, your your emotions with with drink. Uh, with entertainment, but, but, but be mindful of what's really true, but what's really real. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again and is seated at the right hand and who's coming again. Be mindful of that. He is coming. Think about that. Let that shape, let that grab, let that be the primary thing that motivates you. So therefore you don't panic. You're not just in a daze. You're not, oh, 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 no. But you are firmly rooted and being mindful of the gospel. And therefore, you're able to pray. Therefore, you're able to, to cry out when you need help in time of need. Um, Edmund Clowney says this because prayer tastes the agony of struggle or the delight of communion with God. That's a great line. It's not, you know, again, it's, it's not this... Have you ever met Christians that are like, how's everything going? Everything's good. God loves me. I'm not struggling in any way. Everything's great. I'm just a deeper communion with God day by day. I'm not... Nothing, nothing's touching me. I'm like Teflon. I mean, like, and that... And this... I, I've had moments like that where I just feel that. But, but I also had moments of like, how are you doing? Um, where I'm echoing the songs of lament. I feel like God's not hearing my prayers. I feel like they're stopping at the ceiling. I feel like it must be something I'm doing wrong. God, why have you abandoned me? Why am I hurting so much? Why is this so hard? Like, both of those are honest prayers. Both of those are sober-minded, right-thinking, gospel-believing prayers. So we're not pretending that it's all great. 
but we're also not just despairing to the point that what's the point of praying? Remembering, reasonable, thinking, coming back to the Scriptures, back to the Gospel. My God does love me. My God is faithful. He keeps His promises. Yes, believers struggle. But yes, He brings them through. He works all things to good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Again, you don't say that to someone who's in the, in the valley. But it's true. And the Spirit brings it to mind. You can say it, but you have to be careful how you say it. Don't ever say it with shame. Don't ever say it. Haven't you, don't you remember the script? Don't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Don't panic. Pray. Be, be mindful. Be watchful. You know what Peter, Peter remembers not getting this right. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? What does Jesus say? Watch. Pray with me. What do they do? They fell asleep. Jesus, the Jesus, y'all have heard of him, right? The, Jesus said, I need you tonight, right now. You, know, you think Jesus showed up and said, hey, I need you to pray all night. Okay, alright, I'll do it. But no, <laughs> we're just like Peter. And he, he wasn't watchful, he wasn't alert, he wasn't mindful. He had, you know, Jesus said, hey, he, he had been saying, he had said many times at that point, they're going to come arrest me, <laughs> I'm go- they're going to kill me, and I'm going to be raised, I'm going to come back to life. And they're like, okay, what does he mean by that? He said it many, many times. It's happening tonight. Okay, okay. You know, and they went to sleep. He remembers this. He's going, look, don't, no, I did it once. Be watch. He, he means it. It came true. I saw him. And he's coming again. Be watchful. Be ready. Be mindful of the gospel and let that motivate your prayers. Both prayers of lament and prayers of joy. Anything, everything, pray. And let that gospel mindedness motivate you. That's the first thing. Because of the imminent end. We need to live in light of the imminent end. Second, love one another by His grace. Verse 8, above all, keeping Keep loving one another earnestly. You know, this isn't a new command. This is the... Jesus said it, you know, when he was asked what's the greatest command. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, with your, um, and, and, and the, this is the first and greatest. The second is like it. You shall love your, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Paul says something similar. He's, he talks about the, the, how pro, the promise of love in the Christian fellowship and the Christian life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And again, um, I believe that all the rest flows out of that first one, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and out of that is, comes all, those, all the rest of those things. And that's Galatians 5.22. So it says that we are to love and we're to do it earnestly. Some of y'all do everything earnestly. Some of you are type A's and everything you do is just with earnest. It's priority. It's now. And I love that about you. <laughs> um, another way of thinking about it is deeply or constantly. Constantly. It reminds me of something else Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never what? Fails. Never fails. 
And he's not just talking about, we, we quoted at weddings, he's not really talking about romantic love. He's not talking about marriage love. He's talking about just love. Love and the body of Christ. Love for one another um, as his people. We are to do it earnestly, deeply, constantly. Never failing. That's a big command. That's a big ask, isn't it? But look what he says, the motivation. Why do we do it? Since love covers a multitude of sins. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? How does your love for me cover sins? How does my love for you cover sins? We know that the only, the only love that can pay the price of sin is expressed in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's the only really love that can ultimately atone for sin. But he's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the love that, that brothers and sisters in Christ have for one another. He's really, what he's doing is he's using language of Proverbs ten twelve. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. What does he mean by that then? He means that love forgives. Love forgives. If you love someone, you forgive them. You forgive them. You keep forgiving them. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus, all right, seven times is good, right? That's a lot. Number perfection, right? Seven? Sounds pretty good. He goes, no, 77 or seven times 70. But, you know, however you want to interpret that. No, just keep, keep forgiving. Love does not keep score. But I'm good at keeping score. <laughs> I really am. I'm really good at keeping that tally sheet. I've told you my right, my, not right path, but my Enneagram, a six, wing five, and it's really easy for me to keep score. Peck, Peck knows. We talked about that. Uh, he's, we're the same in that. Um, but, it, it, but it's not just for that. It's for anybody. We, 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 when we hurt, it's hard to keep putting ourselves back out there, right? But, but the people you love, what? The people you love, the people that you, that you um, your, your children, your spouse, the people that you care about, you keep forgiving, you keep loving. And that's what God calls us to do. That's what He wants us to do. Not that our love pays for sin or actually atones for sin, but it motivates us to love the way God loves. Edmund Clowney puts it this way, he says, but our love can imitate the mercy of God our love can forgive. But he also says forgiveness always pays a price. To forgive, to lovingly forgive, doesn't necessarily feel good. You feel it. Because you're going, I've, I've been hurt and I'm going to absorb that and not hold that against you. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to bear the weight of that. And I'm going to keep making myself vulnerable to love you and to be loved by you. That's, the, that's, the, that's to characterize the church. But how do we do it? And that's what the rest of this is. It's breaking that down. It's share, showing us what, that, what does that look like. We do it, how do we love? How do we do love in this way? In a, in a deep, abiding, constant love. Good news is by God's grace. 
It's by God's grace. Look, it's by His strength. Um, you see it there in the end of verse 10. God's varied grace. You see it there in verse, into verse 11. The strength that God supplies. This is not something that you and I can do in and of ourselves. It's not something that we do naturally. Um, it's not something we do through our, our native strength of our, of our because with, apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit, we are sinners and, and left and, and rebels. But in Christ, though we fail, though we fall short, though we will need to be forgiven for, for sins, we can also extend forgiveness. And it's all by His grace. Because He gives us gifts, it says. We love, we serve one another using gifts given to us by God's grace. And note that, you know, it doesn't give us a list here, like in some places in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, there's a list of spiritual gifts. He doesn't even really go into that. He just breaks it down into two big categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. You see that in verses... In verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love that it does this. It doesn't get into the weeds. It just says there, there are all kinds of gifts and you can read them. There's gifts of you have teaching and preaching. There's gifts of Mercy and administration. There's, there's, there's more than that. And, and again, the, you know, the commentators don't think that those are exhaustive gifts. It's lists, necessarily. But God helps us, makes us, calls us to, to serve Him in all different ways and equips us to, to bless the church, to bless one another with these various gifts. And He gives, he gives some... Some, cap, some, some instruction on that. For the one who speaks, the one who preaches. This is, you know, yeah, geared to me and those of you who have been called to teach Bible studies and, and, and small groups and teach our children. It means, he says, when you speak, what? Speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. The burden I have is not to come up with something clever or clever words or designs of men, but just to explain the Word of God and to make it engaging, hopefully, and to explain it well where you leave and go, I think I know what it means. But that, that's the goal. But it's, I'm, I'm sticking to this, this message of the Lord. And that, that's, that's a great gift to, to be able to do that. And, you know, one of the... I, I've, I've told some of you this. One of the reasons I knew that I was... I, I thought I was really called to ministry is because I was like, I want to be a preacher... But in, I was afraid of public speaking. Like those were two things happening at the same time. It's like I think God wants me. I want to be a preacher, and and the idea of speaking up front in front of people when I was about twenty it scared me to death. But I was willing to wade into that, and I was like, okay, there's something going on, because this isn't something I really, you know. A speech in class was horrible, but I, I wanted to preach. I wanted to be a pastor. Okay, there's something going on. And well, how, how do you how do you how do you determine if that's your gift? How do you determine that? Well, one commentator made made the great point. I want to just y'all. The only way to figure it out is not through introspection. 
Am I called? Do I have the gift of mercy? Beyond just speaking. Do I have the gift of teaching? Do I have the gift of preaching? It's not, it's not just through introspection and thoughtfulness. It's through service that you determine what your gift is. It's stepping into and stepping into places that you find maybe intimidating. But going, going to this passage, how, how does this work? Is it by my own strength? No, it's by God's strength. Is it, is it by my own ability? No, it's by the varied graces of God given to you. So you step into that and then you trust what? Trust the brothers and sisters in Christ to go, yes or no. <laughs> You know, that, that's, that's, that's a way we determine in the PCA how if you're called to, to, to be a preacher, to be a, a teaching elder, is, is you have to feel an internal call, but then you go come under care of the session, go do an internship with the presbytery, do the thing, and then they'll go, yeah, or no. <laughs> but do you think anybody goes through that and goes, that was a horrible experience? No. You think they're worse for it? No. I don't, I don't know if I'm. A, I don't know if I can help. I don't. I don't know if I have gifts of mercy. I'm. I'm kind of selfish. Well, move into that. I don't know if I have gifts of service or gifts of administration. Well, when there's a need, step into it. I promise we'll let you know. And if your greatest fear is that, what if that is my gift? What if I'm? What if I've really blessed the church with that? Then trust God. And you go, I don't know if I have time. I don't know if I... Trust God to give you grace. Trust God to give you strength. Again, do I have time for this gift given by God? That's a weird question, isn't it? Do I have enough energy for this gift that God's given me to use it? That's a weird question because the strength comes from God and the grace comes from God. So again, the answer is no. It's always no. It's always no. And he gives a special, like, so speaking gifts, when he speaks to Oracle God, is serving in the strength of God. And he highlights one, one aspect of service is hospitality. Hospitality. What is, what is hospitality? Is it just entertaining people? No. Entertainment is something you do to someone. Hospitality is something you do for it's a difference in the preposition. I didn't come up with that myself. I got it from the RUF philosophy of ministry, and I think it's great. It's not something you do to someone. That's entertainment. That, that, that's, that hospitality is for. It's making room for someone in your life. It's making them feel welcome. And that's something that's beautiful, and I see that. There are some of you who are especially gifted in that. The Joneses hosting their small group. The Weavers. Um, the Smiths. I've been in their home many times. I'm not trying to shame anyone who I don't call out. But, the, you know, but, but there, are, there are people, there are small groups named after, you know, you know the, the Jones Weaver small group. Okay, all right. <laughs> so it's, it's right there. And I thank you for that. It's wonderful. But it's not just, do you have people at your house? It's just... Hey, let's do lunch. Hey, let's, 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 I want to talk to you. I want to, I'm going to make my way over from this side of the room to that side. Ooh, that's hospitality. Because that takes effort. That takes intention. That takes welcome. And, it, and it's adding another person to the mix. 
But, but this was the life of Jesus. Jesus says, you know, in Matthew, says, Jesus will say, I will say to those on, the, on my right hand, I was a stranger and you invited me in. That's a mark of a Christian is hospitality. Not necessarily in your house or letting people spend the night, though that's included, uh, but letting them into your life, making them feel welcome. Uh, John commends Gaius in, in 3 John uh, for his hospitality to believers that were strangers, that were traveling through, sharing the gospel. He opened his home. Again, hospitality. It's not what you do to, it's what you do for. It's making room for someone in your life. And again, that's by the strength that God provides. Not all of us have the same ability to be hospitable. Some of us, because of health, because of age, because of how many little kids you have, like all that, all that is uh, that factors in. It's according to the God, strength God provides. And, and again, there's there's that beauty there of like, do I have to do what everybody else is doing? Does hospitality look the same from person to person? No. But he's called us to love, to love deeply, to love constantly, to love using what? By the, by the, the varied graces of God, both in teaching and preaching and in serving. Why? And that's our third point. We love one another for his glory. When it's all by his strength and all from hit by his unfavored, by, by his unfavored merit by his grace when it all comes from him and and flows from him then he gets all the glory that's what it's to be about have you ever have you ever have you ever experienced a grumbling hospitality either have you been a part of that or have you experienced it you know it you know it you know, have you ever had like, oh, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all come over. Oh, you're bringing the cousins? Okay. <sighs> There's 80 cousins. Anyway, um, or you've been there like, hey, you told us to show up. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Um, yeah, you're early. We've all done it. We've all felt it. But, you know, some of that is... Being okay that there's laundry on the couch or, you know, you're not ready or the, you know, you're going to have to order out for food because you didn't plan ahead. Like, oh, that's okay. That actually is more honest and vulnerable and, and it's for, it's not to, it's not but being prepared and polished. It's, it's nice. I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy a nice meal that's polished and prepared. But like, it, that's, not, that's not it. It's, it's man, just come, in, come into my whirlwind of a life. Where I experience God, you know, ups and downs and God's grace that I'm just desperately needful of it day by day. Come into that with me. And I'll come into that with you, be in that with you. And it's going to be okay. And, and, but, but again, it, it, it needs to be, when we're, when we're like that, it's obvious that it's not something we're doing. It's obvious it's not something that, that we're doing for our name and for our own um, identity. You know? And I think that begrudging, grumbling hospitality comes when it's like our own ego is tied up in it. When we're worried about how we're going to come off and how we're going to... But when we're going, I'm just called to serve. I'm called to, to be welcoming wherever I am. I'm called to, to love and, and the way that I can love, the strength that God provides. And it takes the ego out and it takes it out. And again, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory.
And that's it. That when we realize that, it's, that's, that's the whole point. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you know, some people read that and go, looks like He's wrapping up the letter. This, this, this chapter 5 and must be a, you know, something that was added later. But no, I think that just when... It's very common and makes a lot of sense for when he talks about the beauty of, of Christ and the beauty of the gospel and how that emanates, how that the, 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 the great love of Christ just permeates the church, that it's worth doxology. It's worth praising God for. It's, it's, it's worth an amen, right? All right, there you go. See, I just be cute. That's okay. Presbyterians, we don't do that much. That's okay. We'll try to work on that. No, but he, he was just moved. By, look, look at... Look at the way God is at work in and through His church. Look at the great gifts He gives. Look at, the, 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 look at these broken people. Renewed in the process of, being, of process of renewal. Given these great spiritual gifts. Both of service and word to bless one another and look at the church working. Look at it. And, and, and I'm in awe. Is cause I, I, I'm aware. I'm aware of the hurts. I'm aware of the trials for most of you. But I'm also seeing growth and service and love. And it's beautiful. And it deserves praise to God. It deserves an amen. We are called in light of the glory to come, in light of the, the end that is near. He wants you to be sober-minded. And that really what that means is be focused and be, remember the truth of who God is. Remember, be reasonable in the reason of the, reason of the gospel that this, 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 this worst day you've experienced isn't, doesn't define you. This worst of sins that you've committed doesn't define you. That, that what's going on in the world doesn't have final say. But there is a, there's a gospel that's true. There's a king on the throne. He's coming again. And he has covered us, covered us up in his love. We're just completely covered. Imagine the, the biggest downy blanket and the softest bed and just being covered up in it surrounded by it but he's not just that picture but just imagine also this Old Testament language of of, 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 of Elisha being surrounded by the enemy in a fortified city and, and being under siege and he's sitting back and his servant goes, how are you so calm? He goes, look. And he can see the army of the God of God surrounding the enemy. It's both and. It's this, it's this beautiful downy blanket, but it's also the power of God. It's completely covered us up. And it's not against us, it's for us. It's not... He's not angry with us. He delights in us. And He loves us. And He goes, in that kind of... Now cover up each other in that same love. Love. Fervently. Love. Deeply. Love. Because I've given you the grace to do it. I've given you the strength to do it. It's not just a love that... It's a love that's giving. A love that's empowering. 
We've been covered up in love. Let's cover up one another in this great love. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would you would work this into our hearts, work this into our bones. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for failing in this. Forgive each of us for failing in these areas. Help us to lovingly forgive. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust one another. Help help us to absorb the debt of sin against us by brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you've absorbed our debt. Ultimately. Completely. Give us the strength to love. The grace to love. And we thank you that you are faithful in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This meal reminds us that we have been covered up in the love of Christ. And I want to read this this, um, excerpt from the Book of Common Worship from 1905 about the Lord's Supper. It says, Let us consider earnestly our great need of having our comfort and strength so renewed in this our earthly pilgrimage and warfare. And especially how necessary it is that we come into the Lord's table with knowledge, faith, repentance, love, and with hearts hungering and thirsting after Christ. Not unto those who live willingly in transgression and offenses, holding fellowship with hatred, malice, or impurity. Not unto those who cherish pride and self-righteousness in their hearts, trusting secretly in their own works and merits, are these benefits of Christ offered. But all that are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from the burden of them, All that humbly put their trust in Christ and desire His grace that they may lead a holy life are invited and encouraged in His name 
to come to this sacrament. Let us therefore so come that we might find refreshment and rest for our souls. Um, if you are sitting up front, I want you to you'll come forward at this table. If you're sitting in this, uh, this section to my left, in the back, you'll go to the to uh, to Vince and Jay. If you're in this back section, you'll go receive the elements from Peck and uh, Kelsey. So let's now feed upon Christ by faith. Thank you.